Good morning, church family. My name is Jeremy Miklak. I am the pastor of Youth and Family Ministries here at Riverstone Church. I want to welcome you here if this is your first week at our church. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us. I just want to say, church family, thank you for, for singing. Because sometimes when we, when we sing and we, we look at the words, sometimes we just let the worship team sing to us. But when we sing to each other, we're not only singing to God, but we're also singing for the benefit of each other. And it's, it's been a tough couple of weeks. And even this morning, just hearing your voices singing to the Lord. Sometimes I come before in worship, and I just can't. I have nothing to sing because I'm just in awe of the Lord. Um, and that's kind of how I'm feeling this morning with, with a lot of things that's been going on in our church. Um, I love you guys so much. Your support and your love. And I'm so thankful for the Word of God, aren't you? So as we get into Philippians, this is such a timely word for us, talking about anxiety, talking about looking to one another to be imitators of Christ. So I know there's ushers that are here to, that would love to give you a Bible. So if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, if you want to just raise your hand, they'd be happy to give you one to look at today. If you don't own a Bible, please take this Bible as our gift to you because we want you to have access to the Word of God. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be starting in verse 17. <sighs> Imitation is power, isn't it? I am so honored that I have two children of my own, married to Emily. We've been married for about six years, and we have two children, my son Everett, who's just turned five. He's going to be going into kindergarten this year, so we're very excited for him. And my daughter, Adeline, who just turned two over the summer. So... Um, there's a lot of fun in our, in our household. We also have a husky, um, so she gets involved in a lot of the things that happen in our house too. But I've noticed that Everett and Addie, they learn a lot by just watching and imitating. Um, Addie right now, I'm not sure why, I think it's because she hears her mommy talk, but she calls me not daddy or dad or papa, but she calls me Jeremy Mikulak. Um, so. <laughs> Right now at home, she's like, what you doing, Jeremy? <laughs> Jeremy Mikulak, what you eating? Um, and if she sees something that I'm eating, then she wants what I'm eating. So oftentimes, I'm sneaking into the kitchen trying to make sure that she's not seeing what I'm eating because I want to eat it. I'm hungry. But kids, they love to imitate. They love to imitate us. And there's power in the way that we can teach through imitation. And that's exactly what Paul's going to bring to us today through God's Word. Before we even open up God's Word, I want to just spend a few minutes in prayer. And how I want to do this is, if you're just sitting close by to somebody, if you could just introduce yourself and then just pray for a minute that God would use His Word to speak to you, that you would be open to hearing His Word and being changed by the Spirit through His Word. Just that simple. If you just turn to the person next to you or a couple people next to you, introduce yourself and just pray that.
Don't forget to pray for one another. There's plenty of time after to t continue to talk and meet. God, we're so thankful for your word. There's many people in this world that don't have access to the gospel through your word. And so, Lord, we are so thankful that we have it in our language, that we can study it and learn from you. And God, we pray that this morning as we read your word, that we would not only be hearers of your word, but be doers of it. God, we fall short of your glory. But Christ, in his awesome wonder, has come and been the example to us. And not only the example, but we have power because of what Christ has done. And so we look to Christ to, to change our character, our attitude, our mindset, and to be renewed day by day because of what Christ has done for us. And we want to be used by him for your glory and for your kingdom. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us, forgive us of the times when we are hypocrites, when we say one thing but we do another. God, we want to be worthy of being imitators of Christ to, to point others to you. And this is what we ask of you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. There's imitation in power. Did you know there's a, a superstar in the 76ers team named Joel Embiid? He's seven foot two. I don't know. I don't know if I could even reach the top of his head. But apparently, he was interviewed once and he was asked how did he learn to play basketball because they found him just as a teenager. He had no basketball experience, but he said, oh, I just went on YouTube and I typed in people who shoot three-pointers, and he learned how to shoot by watching YouTube. So parents, if your kids are watching YouTube, there is something that you could be learning from watching, right? Imitation is power. Even Joel Embiid apparently has learned how to shoot a basketball by watching YouTube, and a lot of practice. It's not just magic. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, if you can read along with me, Paul says this, brothers and sisters, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Paul talks about imitate me as I imitate Christ. To follow my example, he's using this understanding that he's saying, don't just look at what I'm doing, but copy what I'm doing. And Paul, in no way is he trying to say, hey, look at me because I'm really good at being a Christian. Because in the chapter, and in the same chapter, he points back about seven verses earlier, and he talks about all the things that he's done in his life, he counts as rubbish compared to the glory of Christ and following after Jesus. And so Paul is not, to be, not trying to be proud, but he's trying to say, the things that I've been doing for Christ because Christ has been working in me, I want you to imitate those things, to walk according to the pattern you have in us. The word that he uses for pattern, I think is really in interesting. He uses the same word for imprint or a stamp. It's actually the same word that we see in John chapter 20, verse 25, when Timothy, is one of the disciples, is doubting the resurrection of Jesus. And he said this, unless I see his hands and the imprint of the nails 
and put my finger into the place of the nails and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. But we know later Jesus came before Timothy and Timothy saw Jesus and he did not have to touch Jesus to believe. He fell to his knees and he said, my God, my Lord. You see, Paul, he was impacted by the imprints of Jesus, his scars, and it has left an imprint on Paul's soul. And Paul is saying now that as you have been impacted by Christ's imprints, as he has made an imprint on your life, to imitate and walk according to what Christ has done for us, not just as an example, but so that we can point people to Jesus' power because it's through Christ that we are new creation. Jesus made an imprint on Paul's life. And this is the certain kind of living that requires a certain mindset, doesn't it? That when we see what Christ has done for us and we understand that and we believe, it changes us. It changes our character in the way that we think and it changes our behaviors in the way that we live. It means that we're not asserting our own rights. It means that we're considering the needs of others before our own. It's the same mindset that took Jesus to the cross. It's the same mindset that brought Paul to be in prison as he writes this letter. And so Paul's call to imitate him is in fact a call to imitate Jesus. And Paul's saying this because now in the next couple of verses, we're going to see that he gives us a warning because there are many people that don't live like this. And I want to encourage you as parents, one of the most impactful ways that you can live for Christ and for your kids is to not only tell your kids what to do and what not to do, but to model that for them. When they sit next to you here on Sunday morning and they hear you singing songs, when they see you opening God's word, when they hear you praying and seeing you on your knees, those things make an impact on your kids more so than what you could even say by saying, don't do this or do this. When you show them how to live, they want to imitate you, and that makes a huge impact in their life. In verse 18 to 21, Paul says this, for many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even as I weep, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who have their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our lowly condition into conformity with his glorious body by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. You see, Paul's trying to say, listen, there's a lot of people that are trying to show us how to live. And the people that we're following, we're going to imitate. So parents, we have a great responsibility. And students and children, you might not even realize it, but the kids, your peers, your friends, the kids that are younger than you, your younger siblings, they're also looking to you. The way that you interact with things, the way that you respond to frustration and disappointment, the way that you worship your God, the way that you speak about Him, 
All of those things make a huge difference because there are many people in this world that are not living that way. There are many people that Paul mentions are called enemies of the cross of Christ. And I love that it says that Paul says, I weep about this. You know why he weeps about it is because he recognizes his own life that he was once an enemy of the cross of Christ. That it is nothing in his own power that has made him a friend of God, but it is God himself who has reached down and called Paul out of the pit and redeemed him. That we were all once enemies. In Romans 5, Paul said this, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, so how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We understand reconciliation because what, of, what God has done by sending his own son, Jesus, to pay the penalty of our sin for us. That we were once enemies of the cross, and we don't look at other people in judgment or look down on them. Paul could have said, yeah, look at me, imitate me, because I'm living a better life. I'm better than these people. But that's not what Paul says. He says, it's because of what Christ has done in me that I'm changed. But the truth of the matter is, for those who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior are considered enemies of the cross, that their end is destruction. Paul is not saying that at the end of this life that they're just no more. But the truth is, what we see in God's Word is in the book of Revelation, it talks about a place where people will be in eternal conscious torment, punishment, the just punishment for disobeying an almighty God, that this was our judgment. But Christ, in His love for us, has taken the penalty of our sin upon himself so that not only do we not face this judgment and penalty, but we are called his children and we will be in a place of paradise and joy forever with him. And we do not desire to see anyone face this judgment and neither does God. He is patient and waiting for those to believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And he wants to use us to share that news with everyone in this world. He says their God is their appetite, their glory is in their shame. You see, their God is in their stomachs. Like he says in, in Romans, he says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such people are slaves not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. By their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. They're people who go after things that they desire. They see something and they want it and they follow after those things and they desire these things and they end up following not Christ, but their own desires. Whether it's sinful fleshly desires that cause them to push God away, or distractions, hindrances, obstacles, things that aren't God. They could be good things, but it's not Christ. 
And so ultimately, they are dragging people away from the truth of who Christ is and the best thing for us. And so I want to encourage us to be mindful of who you're following, you imitate. The videos you watch, the people you listen to on podcasts, your teachers, your professors, your parents, be mindful of those things that you consume constantly because what we look at, what we listen to, what we follow, we imitate. And there are many who do not walk according to the way that God wants them to walk. And we can follow after these people and be taken away from what Christ wants us to be doing, to keeping our eyes fixed on Him and fixed on eternity. And Paul's saying, there are people's souls at stake. Your words matter. Your actions and your behaviors make a difference. Paul is trying to tell the church to be careful of who you follow because who you follow you will imitate. And at the same time, we imitate those who love Christ because there is a great promise and a hope that our citizenship is not on this earth, not in this country, but in heaven. And we eagerly wait for Jesus to return to claim what is his own, to change our bodies into his glorious body through the power that he has. You see, when we have our mind on earthly things, it's not necessarily not necessarily wrong for us to be mindful of the things that are happening on earth, but these teachers that Paul talks about, they put their hope in earthly things, and they believe that they can gain merit from God through things on earth. But this teaches us that our salvation or our justification is something that can be earned, but that's not true. It's all because of what Christ has done in us and for us. And for our reminder to be understanding that our citizenship is in heaven. You know, some of the things that we have rights to this country, because if you're born in this country, you are a citizen of the United States of America. You know what some of those rights are? That you can't be deported. You have a right to vote. You have a right to bring your family here. A right to federal benefits public office, a right to live and work here. There are many people who desire to have a citizenship in the United States of America and have these opportunities. And as I was thinking about these rights that we have, right, these privileges, these are the privileges that God has given us as we are not citizens of just here, but of something so much greater of heaven, a right that we will never lose that gift to be with God for eternity. We will never be deported from heaven, that God will be forever proud of you and love you and keep you and see you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, that there is nothing that we could do that Christ would love us any less than he already does because you are a citizen in heaven. For what is our only hope in life and death? 
that we are not our own, but belong both body and soul to Christ, our Savior, Jesus. This is our great hope that we have. And when something tragic happens in our life, it makes it real for us. Do you really believe that there's something after this life? Do you really believe that Jesus existed 2,000 years ago? Do you really believe that he's the son of God, that he died on the cross and that that actually makes a difference in your life? That what he said, these words to be true, that not only did he die, but he came back to life three days later? It seems like it could just be a silly story that this Jesus is just a nice guy that lived a long time ago. But when we look at the lives of the people who followed Jesus, they imitated him because they knew it was real and true. And every last one gave up their life because it was true. And 2,000 years later, we are here on a Sunday morning. We could be doing a thousand other things, but we are worshiping the same God because we believe what Jesus did is true. And we believe that he can make a difference in our communities and in our world. <laughs> that the gift that Christ wants to give us through citizenship of heaven, redeeming us, changing our bodies, living in a place where there is no sadness, no tears, no pain, no suffering, but joy, changing our bodies into his glorious body, it's far better than any Botox or plastic surgery that we could ever have on this, and on this planet. And we want to serve one another and live in peace and harmony and be united. And Paul is going to talk about as believers, as the church, to be united, to live the way that Jesus lived is far more valuable than the way that you teach or tell people that's right and that's wrong. To be careful to live in unity makes a huge impact. And so now we're going to go to chapter 4 as Paul, we see Paul's words as an encouragement to us to live in harmony with one another. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche, I wish it could be like Emily and Sarah, to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also, help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel to get together with Clement as well as the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Part of living out our faith is understanding conflict resolution. As we look through the whole of the scriptures, what we see is that it's better to do what is right than to make a sacrifice. It is better to reconcile with your brothers and sisters than to pretend like it never happened and to continue to worship before God. Paul is saying to live in harmony that is how you are going to make an impact in your community, in your family, in the world. 
this is a great tool that we have as we are called to be the body of Christ. When one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. When one part of the body succeeds, the whole body succeeds. And we celebrate those things. But people can be prickly. And there will be conflict. And yet conflict is necessary for us to grow. It's one way that God helps us to see our own sinfulness, to admit those things, to apologize, and to forgive. As Christ forgave us, we can forgive. Paul even gives a warning to a church saying, be careful of taking communion. That if there's some sin in your life, that you should be aware of those things before you come into the presence of God and come to his table. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is recorded of saying these things as he went up on a sermon and he preached to people. He said this, you have heard it was said to the ancients, do not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to, to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, will be subject to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be subject to the fire of hell. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and first go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Church, if there is someone that you think about throughout the weeks because it's causing you distress or discomfort or you're frustrated with or you're angry with, please don't let it control you, consume you. But go, do what is difficult and go to that person and make it right. If you know of someone that you believe has something against you, go to them. Talk to them. It is the most difficult thing when it's someone close to you, has hurt you and offended you, or you feel like you've done something wrong. But what Paul is saying is it is powerful to let these things consume you and take control of your emotions and your thoughts. It restricts us. It's like a bondage that we are slaves to, and it robs us of our peace and our joy. And we cannot fully live for Christ the way that he intends us if this is the way that we're living with our relationships with people. When Paul urges Euodia and Syntyche to live in harmony, and he challenges the rest of these people to come alongside, to live in harmony. He means it because he knows that when there is difficulty and conflict in the church, it can destroy everything to the core. It can cause church splits, anger that is harbored, that becomes something that you will never ever speak to that person again. But Christ offers us forgiveness because he has first forgiven us. 
And he has challenged us by his own words that if you cannot forgive, how can you receive my forgiveness? So church family, I want to continue to urge you as imitators of Christ, if there is a relationship that is broken, go and seek to reconcile that relationship with all of your time, with all of your energy, because it's worth it. And I know many of you have been in relationships that have been broken and that you have understood the gift of reconciliation and the power that that brings because of what Christ has brought with forgiveness. The power of forgiveness is so incredible. The joy and the hope that it brings in restoring relationships. And this is the power that we can show to our community and to our world because we live in a broken world. That many people who go through disruptions in relationships, they say, see you later, or take revenge, take advantage of them when they're not looking, talk to them, talk about them behind their back, gossip about them, go to your friends and tell them what they've done, post it on social media so that you can get people behind you. And yet Christ is saying, and Paul is saying, no, go to them first. Don't go to these other things, but go to them and make it right. And in doing so, you will see the change in your life, experiencing peace and joy the way that Christ intends it. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 to 9, is what we're going to conclude with today. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all people. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is in any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things you have received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is not saying that we can never be anxious that we can never feel frustration or disappointment and that we should just sing and be happy all the time. But when we understand the hope that we have, it does change the way that we react to circumstances that are disappointing, that are frustrating. And what Paul's saying is we need to practice these things because we are not good at it on our own, to practice rejoicing in the Lord, singing and dancing and praising the Lord because he's worthy of our praise. And he says, guess what? Jesus is coming. And how do you want to be living when Jesus comes back? Do you want to be found rejoicing in the Lord? or imitating someone else that's not following Christ. 
And church, I want to make sure that you understand this, that when he says to be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, there are things that will cause us to be anxious. And when I think about people who love the Lord, when I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were entering into that fiery furnace, I can't imagine that they weren't anxious. When I think about Daniel when he was going to be thrown into the pit of lions, I can't imagine he wasn't anxious. When we read about Esther, who didn't want to go before the king to save her people, I couldn't imagine that she wasn't anxious. When I think about Jesus, who pleaded before his heavenly father in the garden, saying, Lord, will you take this cup away from me? As he sweat blood, I can't imagine he wasn't anxious. But, but church family, what they did was different than what the world does. They went before their father and they prayed and they pleaded and they brought petitions. That when something goes wrong in our life, we can go before a heavenly father who knows all things and who loves you so much. And in that pain and in that stress, he understands. And sometimes he answers us in ways that we can't understand. But when we go to him, Paul is saying there is a promise that by the power of God, by the power of the Spirit, he will guard our hearts and our minds. It doesn't mean that everything will always go our way, but when it goes wrong, to protect our minds from thoughts that we experience, I'm not good enough. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. God, you are unfair and unjust. How could I believe in you? You weren't there for me. All of these questions we can ask. When we go to God, he protects us in our own hearts and our minds from being deceived by the lies of the devil who want to bring us away from Christ and say, it's not worthy following him. It's not worth it. It's not worth giving this up. Pursue your own advantage. Live for yourself. But Paul is saying, when we go to the Lord with these requests, that he will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus so that we can continue to walk alongside of each other, to build each other up, to encourage one another in times of trouble and hardship to practice these things and to imitate those who are imitating Christ. In 1873, it's a long time ago, a man named Horatio Spofford, he wrote a song called It Is Well With My Soul. Many of you are familiar with the song. Well, he was a real estate investor and a successful attorney and he lost a lot of what he owned and his fortune in the great Chicago fire of 1871. Around the same time that happened, he lost his four-year-old son to scarlet fever. He decided as a family they would go on vacation. So he sent his wife and his four daughters on a ship to England, and he was planning to meet up with them later. However, while crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship was involved in a terrible collision and sunk. 
more than 200 people lost their lives, including his four daughters. His wife, Anna, survived the tragedy. And upon arriving in England, she sent a telegram to her husband saying, saved alone, what shall I do? As he went on a ship to go meet with his wife, the captain had heard of the story of what had happened, and he brought Horatio to the spot and showed him exactly where the ship had sunk. And it was at that time where this song came to his mind. The lyrics, and Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. The powerful words, someone who went to God in his anxiety, in his sorrow, and God protected him and guarded his heart and his mind. We imitate those who we follow. People are watching. They want to see hope. The way that you live your life matters. The way that you speak to one another matters. And so Paul is challenging the church as he challenges us today to be mindful of the calling that we've been called to be worthy of imitators of Christ, that we're not proud to stand here to say, look at me because I'm better than others, but look to see Christ in me and imitate me as I imitate Christ. Church, let's pray as we conclude, as we think about this for our week. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for Jesus. Not only was Jesus the perfect example for us, but because of what Christ has done, we can be redeemed. We can be called children of God. We have citizenship in heaven. We have a great hope. And Lord, we eagerly await the day of Jesus' return. Lord Jesus, come back. And Lord, at the same time, we understand that you've called us to be here so that you can redeem more souls. Father, so that you can, by your power, save the lost, redeem the enemies of the cross, which we acknowledge that we once were. And so, Father, we pray for our children who don't know you. We pray that as we imitate Christ, they would imitate us and understand who Christ is, that they would believe and be saved. Lord, we pray for our communities, for those that we work with, for our neighbors, for those who we go to school with. Lord, we pray for those who don't even know the name of Jesus, that you would raise people who would be bold enough to go to share the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for Jesus. Amen. Church family, I hope you have a wonderful week. Continue to be imitators of Christ this week.